Today's workplace podcast disclaimer, JT Wilson. This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's Workplace Podcast. Welcome to today's Workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. So welcome to today's workplace. Thank you for joining us for a discussion about some very interesting developments that have been taking place in the post-pandemic workplace. Today, we are thrilled and excited to welcome to our show, Michelle Meyer Schiff, who is the CEO of Dress for Success. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, Michelle, it's such a pleasure for us to sit down and talk with you today about significant issues we are all facing in the workplace today. But before we dig into today's topic, let's start by having you give us a recap of your very successful and exciting career journey from the days when I first met you as an in-house employment attorney to your current position as CEO of one of the most impactful women's organizations in the world, Dress for Success. Oh, thank you, Barbara. And thanks, Belinda. Really happy to be here. So it's it's been a ride. It's been actually a great journey. Um, as you both know, I started my career uh, practicing as an employment attorney. And I practiced for just over a decade. And, and what was interesting about that for me is that I really discovered a couple of key things. I discovered that I loved people and I loved people, helping people solve people-related issues. I realized that I didn't enjoy litigating. And I realized that I enjoyed helping companies navigate policies, practices, and procedures to help people grow, to help people connect, to help people collaborate. And so what ultimately happened for me was I ended up transitioning out of my work as an attorney to becoming, actually I went in-house counsel after being a litigator. And then from in-house counsel, I actually transitioned into diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging role at a global financial services firm. That was my first foray out of the legal practice. And I absolutely fell in love with the work because the work was about the things that I loved to do most, which was wrap my arms around people, help them grow and develop with a focus on underrepresented talent. And it was incredible. I actually had the privilege of working at that company and a couple of other companies over the course of about 12 years as a DEIB leader and just had an amazing time at that role. Yeah, and Michelle, real quick. 
Mm-hmm. I specifically remember seeing you probably like in New York or someplace else at a conference right about that time. And I remember you saying how you were stepping into this role. It had come open. You know, you were saying how there was so much more that could be done in that role. And so you decided to step over there and show what needed to be done. And I remember that. And next thing I know, you are leading EEIMB for this massive global financial institution. I thought that was so cool. But I remember having that conversation with you. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, it was really, it was great. I enjoyed the work, but I also enjoyed the exposure that it gave me to just traveling all over the world, meeting different people, learning about different cultures and different experiences, both from a professional angle and from a personal angle. It's just, it's been really, really fulfilling. And it was about a couple of years ago that I decided that I needed to grow more. You know, having done the, the same role for over a decade. I was kind of feeling like I was on a hamster wheel, just kind of step and repeat, step and repeat, step and repeat. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to grow. So I took on an opportunity a couple of years ago as the head of people and culture at Major League Baseball, which interestingly, a lot of people don't know it. It is a global organization. Yeah. And I led HR, DEIB and office operations. Mm-hmm. So the growth space, wow. the growth space for me there was taking on HR and office operations. So every and anything that touched people, all mm-hmm. of our employees was, was under my purview. So it was, it was broader than DEIB and it allowed me again to stretch and grow. And I think I could say I was a product of the great resignation that came about mm-hmm. as the, you know, with the pandemic in realizing during the pandemic that, Hey, my three sons have gone off to college. You know, I've spent 25 years in corporate America and I really want to do, I, I'm seeing what's happening out here in society. I'm seeing how, you know, underrepresented groups, marginalized groups are really getting hit the hardest with this pandemic um, in the aftermath of the pandemic. And I said, you know, I think I want to hit pause and reevaluate and reexamine my next and hopefully last chapter working because after this chapter, I hope to retire. And I decided that I wanted to do something really philanthropically focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know what it was, but I actually decided to take a sabbatical and I left major league baseball and I literally had a full intention of at least a one year sabbatical. Right. And I interestingly had a reach out from a headhunter about the role as CEO of dress for success worldwide. And she said, look, I know you want the sabbatical, but if you would just look at this job description, I think you might be intrigued. Well, you see what happened. Look yes. behind me, right? I was intrigued. The job description is all, it's actually really ironic how things work. The job is all about all of the things that, that my career has set me up for. It's around wow. supporting, nurturing, and growing, right? The next generation of talent. And in this instance, underrepresented and marginalized women in the workplace, um, helping yep. them get access to the workplace, grow in the workplace, evolve, develop. It's been a tremendous, it's almost six months and it's just been tremendous. And I mean, I feel like every experience I've had before this set me up for this role. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. And it's a, you said it's a global organization. Yes. Yeah, so a lot of people don't know this, but Dress for Success is indeed worldwide. We have 144 chapters in 20 affiliates rather in 23 countries around the world. And the other thing that a lot of folks don't know about us, and I actually didn't know this when I first was approached about the opportunity, 
I thought Dress for Success was simply a place where women could go and get clothing for job interviews and for jobs, right? But little did I know that we are a whole entire career resource development center for women in need. And our, our scope of women is very broad. I mean, we, we help the most vulnerable women. So women coming yes. out of you know, domestic violence, homelessness, incarceration, human trafficking, et cetera, to women who have had careers and are returning to the workforce, okay. are pivoting in the workforce, who were laid off. So we see women at all ages, at all backgrounds, and literally meet them at their point of respective needs with all sorts of career development, mentoring, networking, workshops, et cetera. Right, so right. It's, really, it's just amazing um, to see the work of our affiliates. And it's amazing to meet the clients and hear their stories. There's not a day that goes by that I don't hear a story that makes me realize, you know, this is, this is truly yeah. where you were meant to be. So I'm really happy to be in this role. I'm, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to serve in this role. That's absolutely wonderful. And it's such a blessing to be able to, you know, have a professional assignment that really reflects where you are in life and what you want to do in terms of, like you said, philanthropy. And I couldn't think of a better area to work in because we read all the time about how important it is for women to be participating in uh, the economies of the world. Like, in, in that's why education for women, jobs for women, equal pay for women. And all of those are like massively important to a healthy economy. And so what your organization is doing is playing a very important role in making sure that the economies of the world have success, you know, and exactly right. getting exactly women. Right. So I think that's pretty awesome. But in our discussion today, Michelle, we want to take advantage of your past few years in the C-suite and some of the other um, very uh, interesting background that you just shared with us. And we wanna look at some of the more provocative and transformative events that are impacting the workplace today. And so let's start talking about the post-pandemic. The private sector has been bombarded with just the number of new workplace post-pandemic challenges that it didn't expect from safety concerns, vaccine mandates, unions, hybrid working, social justice, social responsibility. And so from the CEO vantage point, what have you observed or are some of the more significant things employers have to do differently in order to thrive in this period of massive change? And, and do you think it's different for private sector versus public sector? Wow, I love that question. It's actually a really, really loaded question. I think that the first thing organizations are doing and have had to do was to very quickly become agile and to really open up their mindsets to how they operate and do business and how they engage their employees. You know, I actually have worked for several organizations that were historically very conservative organizations, very risk adverse organizations, you know, very set in their way types of organizations. And the pandemic, I mean, I literally worked in a couple of them during this pandemic where I watched them be forced to get comfortable being uncomfortable doing things differently. And that's been the key. It's really been opening their minds to doing things differently and trying new things. I think that is the key. And, and quite frankly, as we still navigate the pandemic mm -hmm. and as we still navigate the uncertainties of the pandemic, and now we watch for the looming monkeypox and all of these other things that are happening, I think we're going to have to continue um, 
to be agile. I mean, there's not a day and a week that goes by that as a CEO of this organization, I'm not having a conversation with one of my offices about, you know, should we be testing employees before they come to work on Mondays? You know, should we go hybrid? I mean, there is not a day that goes by that I have to be, I have to be ready to pivot on the drop of a dime. And I think that's the key. And I think also it's been really important to have leaders across organizations share with each other best practices because there's no playbook on, on how to navigate this. To your question on whether or not there's a difference between the public and the private sector, I mean, I'm clearly have played now in both, right? And I think that now that I'm in the nonprofit space, I will say the biggest difference is just the lack of resources. You know, mm. there, there is not a day that goes by that I think to myself, wow, if I was still in corporate, you know, I could just pick up the phone and make a call and cut a check and get this done. Now it's, I need to go find the money to get this done. And I need to find yeah. a corporate partner who can sponsor this or a donor who can sponsor this. So it's not, it, it's a little bit harder and it's more challenging to get things done in the nonprofit sector and the public sector. And I also think in my space, in Dress for Success Worldwide, we have multiple stakeholder groups that we have to care for. And again, and that is a real big difference than the corporate space. So, you know, I'm dealing with our clients. I'm dealing with our affiliates. I've got individual donors. I've got sponsors. I've got volunteers. And there are some other state. I mean, I literally have like eight stakeholder groups who I have to constantly be thinking about meeting them at their varying points of needs. So mm-hmm. we don't just have one strategy, but we have to have multiple stakeholder strategies given the fact that all of these folks are expecting and needing different things from us. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Lots of challenges for you to address in your role as the new CEO. Want to pivot though and talk to you a little bit about culture and the role that culture plays in an organization. What you've seen as the most significant changes to workplace culture post pandemic. Yeah, sure. So I know you've heard this one. I mean, culture eats strategy for lunch. We've all heard that one, right? Culture is everything. Culture Mm -hmm. was everything before the pandemic, but now it absolutely is everything. I would say that, and again, having been the chief people and culture officer and led HR and led DEIB, you know, employees have very, very different needs than they did before the pandemic. And they want to work in environments where they feel safe and they feel a sense of belonging. I think when I think about culture, we have been forced as leaders. I mean, for me, it's always kind of come naturally, but there have there, there are many leaders who've had to do this anew, is you have to start to think about culture along the lines of making sure you think about employee needs. How do I say this? Along the lines of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, okay? Mm-hmm. So your folks need psychological safety, They need physical safety. They want to feel engaged. They want to feel a sense of belonging and they want to feel a sense of self-actualization, right? So what are you doing to make them feel valued? What are you doing to make sure that their voices are heard? What are you doing to make sure you hear their opinions and their ideas on how we navigate this new reality? Um, So for me, it's all about putting culture up front and center. And it is about as organizations and leaders are being agile, that they're constantly doing a pulse check with their employees to solicit their ideas and perspectives. I think the other thing about culture to keep in mind is more so than ever, we have this multi-generational workforce. We have this ever-changing diverse workforce. 
Um, so there are so many different needs and perspectives within our own employee populations that we have to take the time to understand how to drive culture across all of those spectrums of diversity within our organization. So having someone that can really be at that senior leadership table to always infuse a conversation about culture into every part of the business is critically important. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Michelle. And, you know, and a lot of it is driven by the fact that the new generation of workers that are coming in just have this whole different level of expectation in areas where companies haven't really had to prioritize as much or pay as much, much attention to. Uh, I want to go back to your mention about spending almost a decade or more at, as a leader in DE&I. And, um, you know, during that time, you establish yourself as one of the leading experts. You know, you talk to many audiences on DEI topics. And we know that the summer of 2020 also brought renewed emphasis on DEI. So can you share your thoughts on what employers um, really should do now? We're, We're two years past the major focus and emphasis, but what should employers be doing now to maximize the effectiveness of the DEI strategy that they came out of the box with. Absolutely. So so I would say on this one, there's a couple of key things that come to mind for me. I mean, one is we have to remember that this is, it's a marathon, right? Not a sprint. And so we have to make sure that we have sustainable strategies, practices, and policies to drive DEIB forward. I think leaders have to make sure that they stay engaged in the actions that they have committed to on a very personal basis and that they hold each other accountable. It's not enough to just put out the statement, you know, do whatever it is you say you're going to do for the first year and then drop it and do nothing. Your employees will see right through that going back to the conversation on culture. They will not be working in a culture that they feel is authentic, committed and engaged, and they will leave right? So you need, a, you need a consistent policy, you need engagement, you need leadership accountability. And I think that organizations should also be really cautious about not just picking kind of one aspect of DEIB to focus on and forgetting about the others, because you need a holistic strategy to drive DEIB forward. So when I think about the work, I think about it in three pillars. I think about the pillar of talent, the pillar of culture and inclusion, and then the culture of community, right? Mm-hmm. So in the talent pillar, you know, you constantly have to be monitoring your workforce demographics, how you're sourcing talent, where you're sourcing talent, mm-hmm. how that talent is evolving and growing. It doesn't matter what's going on outside. It doesn't matter what the social justice issue of the day is. You always yep. have to be watching your talent pipeline and caring for that talent pipeline. Right. And then no matter what's happening outside, you have to manage, and we've talked about this already, right? You've had to manage your culture and all that goes with that. And then from the community standpoint, you know, this is where, okay, the stuff that's going on outside does matter. And you have to think about how and where you plug in and play um, and support and help people navigate through, you know, the issues of the day. So those are all the pieces that have to happen. And so often companies will pick one, you know, they'll focus on, well, let's just, let's just focus on the community aspect, or let's just focus on the hiring aspect, but they forget all the other pieces what they miss is all of those pieces are inextricably linked because your talent that you're hiring, again, to your point, Belinda, you said it earlier, like they have new expectations 
And one of those expectations is they want to work in a, they want to work in a place that is committed to and cares about community. So when they see that commitment to community, right, and they're able to participate in that, you're actually driving community, you're driving culture, you're driving engagement, and you're driving retention. So it, it's beautiful when it yeah. works, but everybody's got to be on the same plan. Right. You know, one of the biggest challenges we see organizations struggling with is retention. And especially over the last year or so, referred to as the great resignation. What are your observations of the forces behind such a mass movement of employees from one organization to the next? And is this inevitable or are there things that an organization can do to stem the flow of attrition? Yeah. So I think there's two main drivers of this. Um, I think one is literally, and I mean, I myself, you know, I, I, as I said earlier, I was a, I was a product of the great resignation. And I think a lot of people really stepped back and reevaluated their purpose, appreciating that on any given day, anything could happen. And how do they, how do you really want to spend your time? I think a lot of people really stepped back and did a reassessment on how they want to spend their time and energy. And it's funny, many of the women that we see that come to us who are career transitioning, who are trying to pivot, have gone through that same exact kind of um, self-reflective moment where they're like, you know what, time to do something different. I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is, I think companies were not quickly ready to be flexible in a way that I think they now are. So people walked away. They're like, you know what? I'm not doing this. No, I'm not commuting into whatever city it is five days a week. And yeah, no, I'm not working those hours anymore. And no, that's not realistic. I think people actually put boundaries in place. And if their organizations weren't willing to meet them around those boundary points, that was another reason that caused them to bail. So for companies in thinking about retaining talent, it goes back to you know something I said before, which is you've got to engage your people, you've got to survey, focus group, discuss, whatever, whatever your me- mechanism is in your organization, you've got to understand the pulse of where your employees are. What do they need? What are their expectations? And what are the best ways to meet them where they're at and still fulfill your business needs? People want flexibility. People want to work in a company where they feel trusted and where they trust leadership. Actually, the Edelman Trust Barometer talks about this uh, at great length and how employees are looking for that. And also employees want to work for organizations that are committed to community. So, you know, ESG programs, social responsibility programs, all of those things are things people are looking for and asking about. It's really interesting over the last decade or so, as I've interviewed talent, you know, in my various roles, I have noticed people are not just asking about salary. They're asking about benefits. They're asking about work schedules. They work, they're asking about work locations. They're asking about hybrid work. And they're asking about the company's commitment to community mm-hmm. and how the company will help them be engaged and committed to giving back to community. So companies need to be thinking about all of those things to retain talent. And again, it goes also right back to kind of the basic fundamentals too around making sure we are caring for employees' basic needs from that Maslow hierarchy standpoint? Is this a safe place to work? Do I feel physically safe? Do I feel psychologically safe? Am I being heard? Am I being developed? So kind of all the things that we should have known before, 
yeah. spotlighted now. You've been listening to Today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E dot com.